I think when I had a baby, I was like, oh, okay. And I just feel like a totally different type of creature. Like people don't tolerate me on the street anymore. And it's awesome. You know, <laughs> I feel like I've just become so free as I get older and as I get sort of pulled out of the realm of this young object of desire. I think for me, it's been like a really freeing, awesome thing as a musician to just be like, I can still do this and I don't have to be really cute while I do it. I can just be me. That was Shayna Cleveland. And this is She Rose, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, She Rose Radio. She Rose is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come, and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. I'm a longtime fan of this week's guest, the guitarist, singer, songwriter, and band leader, Shayna Cleveland. Born in Kalamazoo, Michigan, Shayna cut her teeth in Chicago before heading to the Pacific Northwest, which is where she would form the psychedelic surf rock band La Luz as their lead guitarist and songwriter. Meanwhile, Shayna was also fronting a folkier band called the Sandcastles as a vehicle for her other passion, acoustic finger picking. And a couple years after releasing La Luz's 2013 full-length debut, It's Alive, Shayna put out her solo debut as Shayna Cleveland and the Sandcastles' Oh Man, Cover the Ground, followed by 2019's Night of the Worm Moon under her own name. Aluz has since put out three more albums, most recently their critically hailed 2021 self-titled album. But in January 2022, Shayna was diagnosed with breast cancer and their tour was cut short. Now, just over a year later, Shayna Cleveland has returned with a gorgeous new solo album called Manzanita, inspired by the nature of her new home surroundings in California and her first pregnancy and birth of her son. She joins us now as this week's Shiro in the Spotlight. Shana Cleveland, welcome to Shiro's. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on what I'm going to call my latest addiction, your new album, Manzanita. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I've been listening to it nonstop. It is just so beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. It's your third solo album. I'd love to have you take us into the world of Manzanita. What were the events that led to putting these songs together? Well, I wrote these songs most of them while I was pregnant. And I wrote actually side A while I was pregnant and side B I wrote shortly after my son's birth for the most part. So I started out thinking that I would really like to just write all the songs while I was pregnant and make sort of a pregnancy concept album. <laughs> Whether or not I was going to present it that way, I personally, I thought that that was interesting and I wanted to see what that would sound like. So my partner Will and I had moved out to Grass Valley, California, which is a small town at the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains. And then I got pregnant and we were both touring all the time. Even while I was pregnant, I toured for most of my pregnancy. But when I was home, he was usually gone. So I was just kind of alone in the wilderness without really any friends because we had moved to this town and then just proceeded to go on tour all the time. So I never really met anybody. And then I found myself just pregnant it, you know, alone in nature. And that's where these songs came from. It was a strange, really beautiful time in my life. 
Are you somebody that thrives being alone or not? Yeah, I think I am, especially for songwriting. I've never really been very collaborative. With my band Lelu's, there is an element of collaboration that kind of happens after I've written the bones of the songs usually. But I really just love to write alone. I'm an only child. I've just always been kind of a geeky, get into my own little creative cave. And that's how I like to write. When you were writing the songs and you set out to write this pregnancy concept record, did you have any kind of notion as to what that would be, like sonically, where you might go with it? Or were you just going to like go with emotionally where you were at? Yeah, I don't know if I thought about that to begin with, because I really did want to make an album that was just guitar and vocals. And I think that that's what I had in mind at first. And then when I started thinking about recording the songs, I really realized how much of a part this environment played in the music. And I felt like Mm -hmm. I wanted to capture that somehow when I recorded the song. So I called up a bunch of musicians that I knew in Seattle and had worked with before. And I just wanted to create an atmosphere that felt very strange and very alive. And so we did that with upright bass and synthesizers and pedal steel, which are all elements that I think of as able to really create natural sounds, really fluid, beautiful, atmospheric sounds. So yeah, that was kind of the idea behind the presentation of the songs is to try to get at this natural environment and also the sort of mental environment I think that I was in of mystery and feeling like I was part of nature and not just in nature. It's a very like divine feminine vibe, if you don't mind <laughs> <say>. Yeah, totally. <laughs> what did you discover writing these songs pregnant? Is there anything in retrospect that you can point to either about writing the songs or like emotionally where you are or like listening back to it that you're like, oh, wow, I can really hear a difference there. Yeah, I mean, I do feel that this album is pretty similar to my last solo album. They sort of feel like two sides of the same coin. But I think that a funny thing about pregnancy is that there's this thing called pregnancy brain that you'll see (laughs) referred to. And it's basically ditziness. You just sort of become a little forgetful. And, you know, like your body is putting so much energy towards this new creature that I feel like your mind is a little bit neglected, (laughs) you know. And I feel like I was just a little airheaded and... Also, the hormones. I mean, everybody's pregnancy is different, obviously. But for me, I felt really euphoric for a lot of my pregnancy, you know. And so there is just this lightness. And I think lightness sounds strange in a way when you look at this album because it is a very dark album. But I think that there was just this lightness of mind that allowed me to get to sort of more easily access my unconscious mind, which is, you know, often a sort of mysterious and dark place. So there's that contrast, I guess. You want to point us to a track to start with today? Sure. Yeah, I think maybe the most illustrative of the things that we've been talking about is A Ghost, the first track. A lot of these songs are addressed to my son, either before or after he was born. But that one is sort of from the unborn child's point of view as a ghost that's haunting me.
That's A Ghost. Starts off the album by Shana Cleveland, Manzanita, her third solo outing. And we're talking about writing the album while pregnant and then the other half of it after your son was born. So once your son was born, was there any kind of distinct turn that you felt? Or was it just more your perspective and what you were writing about? I mean, it really felt like a pretty similar time in a lot of ways. Even though this baby was in the world, they're just such weird little ghost-like creatures before they can talk. And they're just these sort of like human blobs. So you still have to sort of interpret what you think they want. You know, it's just like when you're pregnant, you're like, is this going to be good if I eat this piece of pizza? Is that is that okay? You know, you're kind of <laughs> like still in that zone of, is this okay? <laughs> you know, I think it's similar. I think it's maybe a, like a little less psychedelic. You know, the songs yeah. after he was born, there was a little bit less to wonder about. But then there's this new element of horror, I think, of just just like being so full of love that it's a little frightening. I was so curious to talk to you today because since I started doing this project, it started during the pandemic and I only talked to women and non-binary people. And I didn't think about the fact that I was going to be talking to women who were getting pregnant and having kids a lot <laughs> because it's not the easiest choice when you're a touring musician and the past few years slowed things down mm -hmm. to a point. And, and actually, we had that moment where it slowed it to a halt. So a lot of women were like, well, I guess now's <laughs> a good time because things aren't really moving. But also, I think it got us like refocused on what's important and shifting our priorities. So I was curious about whether any of those things that I just said resonated with you. Were there any of those processes that were going on for you going into it? Yeah, I mean, I got pregnant before the pandemic, but certainly the pandemic had that effect on me of making me think about what was important in my life. And it was just a really similar experience to becoming a mom in, in that way. You know, it's just like, whoa, okay, everything's different. Let me really look at what's going on and figure out how I want to proceed from here. Yeah, it was kind of a double whammy, you know, and then having later being diagnosed with cancer, I was like, oh, here we go again. You know, <laughs> I feel like at this point, I am just a totally different human than I was a few years ago. It's cool to me to hear that you've been talking to a lot of women who have like been like, all right, I guess I will become a mom because I didn't know if I was going to do it and I didn't know how it would fit in my life. And if I hadn't gotten pregnant by accident, I don't think I would have ever been able to make that choice really, because it, it does feel so, well, how is this going to work? You know, we both go on tour, you know, and I'm just so glad that I did. I never really thought about stopping because playing music live is one of the things that's most important to me, along with my kid. Yeah. And it's been wild to like kind of talk that through too, because it's like, okay, not only is it daunting to think about, right, how is that going to work? But it also has, in some cases, evolved into this greater conversation about the patriarchy and how it affects music and how this might yeah. actually be a big part of it. Because mm -hmm. We haven't created the spaces that allow for that or encourage that or are nurturing to that. It's like, think about what every green room looks like or yeah. what tour, how tour buses are designed. The whole, right. the whole way the system is set up is not oriented towards 
women. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I hadn't really thought about it that way. I am just so fortunate to have a partner that also has this job, but I have talked to women who have been like, I don't know how to have a baby. You know, I it just kind of like, and I think that I've never been a person that feels like a lot of sort of shame or guilt for like going after what I want in life. But since becoming a mom, I am familiar with like a new kind of mom guilt. I never thought that that would affect me, I guess. It just didn't seem like in line with my character or something. But I think that when you do, yeah, have a baby and then you're responsible for taking care of this baby, it's like, you know, this sort of mom guilt, which is partially, I think, probably biological, but also certainly, you know, environmental and like societal, I can totally see how that would make women feel like I can't, I can't leave, you know, I can't be the one who leaves. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's crazy to think about how like, yeah, that would reshape who's playing music and the bands that we see, the bands that become popular, the bands that stick around. Yeah. And longevity of careers too. I've also become really fascinated with ageism as it pertains to women in music. I'm putting that in air quotes because it's such an annoying <laughs> phrase. So is that part of it too? Like is becoming a mom or not becoming a mom? How does that play into how many women we see having decades long careers that aren't Patti Smith or Bjork? You know, uh -huh. it's interesting. Any y thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't know. I just think about, I always used to wonder, especially with the Lulus, like, how long can I actually do this band? Like, everybody calls us a girl group, you know? <laughs> I don't really feel like a girl anymore. <laughs> and, like, if that's the position that people are assigning to us, like, is this sustainable? Like, will they still like us in 10 years? And now it's been 10 years, you know, and somehow it still works. But yeah, I, I, I think when I had a baby, I was like, oh, okay. And now I'm, I just feel like a totally different type of creature. Like people don't like holler at me on the street anymore. And it's awesome. You know, <laughs> it's just so great. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like I've just become so free as I get older and as I get sort of pulled out of the realm of this young object of desire. I think for me, it's been like a really freeing, awesome thing as a musician to just be like, I can still do this and I don't have to be really cute while I do it. I can just be me. I love everything that you just said. And that's so inspiring and so needed, I think, for all of us to be reminded of that side of it and that perspective on aging. Why do we need to subscribe to the need to be cute and be objectified? It's like this weird thing where I was just reading this article the other day about the weird moment where women go into that place of feeling like they're invisible. And like there's like a, a bitterness about that, about feeling invisible. Mm -hmm. But the point that the article was making was it's the most free part of our lives. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you're missing out if you are mourning that part of it because that's actually kind of f***ed up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, God, I hate it. I hate it, you know, just the walking around in the world. Is it, I mean, I liked my life. I liked what I was doing and like the stuff that I was into when I was younger. But like walking around Chicago in my 20s and, oh God, it was just such a, pain you know it was just like people telling me to smile all the time and just like ah, it was just so much 
taking on all of these men's feelings all the time and feeling like I had to sort of protect the feelings of strange men, you know. <laughs> so to not have that weight anymore is to me, it's like every time I see a new gray hair in the mirror, I'm just like, yes, you know, bring it on. <laughs> like, give me more. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Shana Cleveland here with us on Shiro's Radio. Her new solo album is called Manzanita. Why don't we break here and play some more music? Where do you want to go next? Should we do something from side B? Sure. So I get to um, pick the song. Is that what you're <laughs> Sure. I mean, um, I have my favorites too, but this is your time. So let's go with your favorites. Oh, man. Okay. Well, I actually was going to say that some of my favorite moments on this album are also the instrumentals. Mm -hmm. Like, I love Sheriff of the Salton Sea. Cool. Um, and I, I was trying to remember, forgive me, how much instrumental music you've made. And also, have you ever thought about doing a full-on instrumental album? Yeah, I really want to do that. I think I would have enough for a full length, but it's all songs that have been on other albums, you know? But yeah, someday that would be such a dream because I love instrumental music too. So yeah, I would love to do that. It's on my, my list. What can you tell us about Sheriff of the Salton Sea? Yeah, it's an open G minor tuning, which is a tuning that I use for about half of the songs on this album and also some of the songs on Night of the Worm Moon. It's just one of my favorite tunings. I think I think after this album, I might sort of retire it for a while because I've just been so deep in it for years at this point. But I don't know when I sit down to play a song in that tuning, the songs just come easily. It feels very meditative to me. For our listeners that don't understand what an open tuning is, how would you explain that and the kind of freedom that that gives a guitarist? Yeah, if you've ever listened to early blues music, a lot of that is in open tunings. And well, it's basically you tune the guitar so that you can play all of the strings and usually they're in one chord. So if you'd play just uh, open without fretting any of the strings, an open G minor tuning, if you just sort of strum down the guitar, that makes a G minor. And the reason that I think that it's really great for making droney guitar music is that, I mean, I think for me, it makes me kind of space out when I play. I just kind of can sit there and just move my hands and not really think about where I'm going. And a lot of people used it to play slide guitar too in early blues music. It's used in a lot of finger picking guitar music. It's something that I came to after learning how to play the banjo because I got really into finger picking when I was learning banjo. And that kind of led me to open tuning. And I've always been a fan of John Fahey and like Skip James and a lot of early blues players.
Sheriff of the Salton Sea is an instrumental track off the new Shana Cleveland album, Manzanita. She's our guest today on Shiro's Radio. I'm Carmel Holt. We were talking about open tunings, and that was a perfect entree for me to talk to you about your guitar playing, which is mind-blowing. I love it in all of your projects. You're such an incredible guitarist. Oh, thank and you. And I was curious to know your background with the guitar. How did you get started? And from the perspective of the Shiro's conversation, was it hard for you at all getting started as a female guitarist? (laughs) (laughs) Again, in air quotes. Yeah, I, I started playing when I was in high school and I just wrote songs in college and in high school. And then when I moved to Seattle, I was in my first band and I played rhythm guitar. And there was this really great guitar player. My friend Nick played lead guitar. And I just started to get a little jealous of his shredding. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually I was like, you know what? I want to be the lead guitar player. I'm just going to start a new band. (laughs) And so I started Lelou's. And when I started Lelou's, I was really into a lot of surf music, instrumental guitar music, like The Ventures, and still always listening to American soul music from the 50s and 60s, which I think is the best music of all time. And also rock and roll from all different countries, like a lot of Asian countries, and just really excited about music by people who are just really excited about rock and roll, I guess. (laughs) I feel like living in Seattle, you know, even though grunge was obviously way back in the 90s, there was still sort of this atmosphere of over-seriousness at the time. And I Mm -hmm. just was really stoked about that sort of style of early rock and roll guitar playing as something that just felt really inviting in a way that appealed to me and sort of like you can have fun and you can understand this. There's no like gateway. You don't have to be into psych rock or prog rock. You don't have to get the references. You just sort of hear it. You hear the twanging guitar and you're just like, oh, I get this. I can dance to this. So I taught myself how to play that style of electric guitar from listening to Ventures Records, basically, and painstakingly picking out all of the things that they did and learning by ear. And for the style that I play on my solo albums, it's a lot inspired by early blues players and Fahey and open tuning pickers. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I love guitar. I think that I got really, like with La Luz especially, I was just like, I want to like get up there and just solo in every song. <laughs> and I think that that was sort of related to wanting to see women do that and just being tired of seeing men be the people in the band that were considered the good musicians, which I think was sort of the case in my first band. It was like, oh, there's this guy who's really great. And, you know, Shana's a good singer, you know, right? <laughs> but I feel right, like right. no one mentioned my guitar playing. So I think at the beginning, it was kind of like, I'm going to be really good at this. You know, like it was kind of yeah. like to prove a point. Well, mission accomplished, obviously. <laughs> so when you set out to do that and you did it, you were intentional about putting La Luz together as a trio of women. You wanted to see that. You felt like there was a lack of that still. I did. And I don't really mm-hmm. feel that way anymore. But at the time I did. And, you know, La Luz started 10 years ago. I feel like the narrative in the Northwest, too, and I don't want this to sound catty, but like (laughs) I feel like there was a lot of talk about anyone can start a band. Sort of the narrative around like female bands was like, oh, we 
just learned how to play these instruments, but we're in a band and it's rad. And like, that is so rad. Obviously that's so empowering and cool, but I feel like there wasn't a lot of bands with women leading them that were shredding. And that was something that I also wanted to see. I didn't want for the narrative to be dominated by like, girls don't have to know that much to be in a band. I don't know, (laughs) which like at the time in the Northwest, it was like maybe Riot Girl and stuff like that, which was, Mm -hmm. you know, a little earlier, but that was sort of still the narrative I felt like. And it kind of bothered me because it felt like it was too easy to write us off. And I feel like I mentioned that in an interview, like right when the band got started and actually the drummer from Bikini Kill kind of like got on me for it. <laughs> it was really, like, yeah, it was really, I, it was a, like a whole thing. I think she just misunderstood me. I think she thought that I was kind of like discounting that, whereas I was just like, I want more than that. You know, I want a variety of examples of ways to be a woman in a band. I mean, I do think it's gotten so much better. I mean, I was a for the 90s, but there's still less slots for us. So it becomes even more important. Another thing I've noticed is festivals will maybe have a quota or something. But then when you look at who's in bigger print, you know, it'll be mostly men or all men. (laughs) Right. Well, there's that Instagram account, Book More Women. Do you know it? Uh Uh-uh. Okay. Are you an Instagram person at all? I mean, yeah. I hate it, but I do use it. You hate it, but you do it. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Pull up Book More Women and look at what this woman does. Okay, book more women. Oh, cool. Yeah, just like I see, she's like taking all of the men out of. <laughs> and then, the yeah, the lineup's like pretty empty. Whoa. And I think it's really important for everyone to actually see it. Like the visual yeah. part of this is so important, right? Really drives it home. Yeah, totally. Let's get back to music. Let's get back to talking about the record. Where should we go next? Do you have a favorite song on the album? Something that's emerged as being extra special to you? It's kind of hard to choose, but I really like (laughs) the last song, Walking Through Morning Dew. That's one of my favorites. I feel like that song is sort of the bridge between this album and my last album, Night of the Worm Moon. That album was a lot about losing my grandma and some of the songs were written to her and sort of about being visited by her in dreams. And I actually put a photo of her in the liner notes of Manzanita. And there's a line in that song, Walking Through Morning Dew, where I talk about how Ozzy, there's this resemblance between him and my grandma. And, And so that song just feels really special to me. You know, it's really intimate. Walking Through Morning Dew, it's on the new Shana Cleveland album, Manzanita. She is our guest today on Shiro's Radio. I love that song so much, and I love the video that goes with it, too. The videos that you've been putting out for this record are so fun. You're also a visual artist, and you have a very strong visual sense. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that side of your creativity has evolved over the years and what you're up to these days with visual art? Lately, I've just been trying to make visuals around this record. And yeah, like a lot of time was spent working on those videos and coming up with ideas for those. And now it's like doing t-shirts and 
Instagram posts. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I love thinking about the visual side of the album and how to present the album that way. And I feel like I never have quite as much time as I want to devote towards that. Like if I had my way, I would love to just have a year to focus on that and just create this whole visual world, you know, or if I had millions of dollars, you know, to hire people to help me <laughs> do it. Yeah, that's always been something that I've been stoked about. And now La Luz has a new album that we're just finishing up and I'm already like, oh, I'm so excited to think about what this is because it's got all this space imagery and there's just all these themes that are appearing when I listen to it. And so I'm getting really stoked about how to bring it to life that way. So when you did the videos for this album, it's very playful. Was there something that unites the three that you can tell us about? I did an interview with American songwriter and Jake, who interviewed me, called the videos vaudeville. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I could actually really see that. But I definitely didn't have that in mind at the time. I think it was sort of an unconscious vaudevillian <laughs> streak that I was on. I reached out to Chantel Beam, the director for the Faces in the Firelight video, because my friend Lauren introduced me to their work. And it just had this really cool element of fantasy. To see. And I was just like, oh, I really think that this is perfect for the record. You know, it, I knew that they could film something in nature that would sort of feel like it was in a different universe at the same time. And so that was the idea for that one. And then, yeah, for A Ghost and Walking Through Morning Dew, I mean, A Ghost was just like... I wish I could show that video to everybody. I feel like so proud of how ridiculous it is. <laughs> but yeah, it was just kind of like, let's, you know, see what we can make on a small budget that feels strange and funny and brings a different element to the music. I just love how handmade it all feels. Like it's very crafted and handmade and genuine. And like I said, it has this playful energy as well. And it's just such a nice counterpoint to the music. I love it so much. Thanks. Yeah, I feel like like my first band never got anywhere and I never really had like any help with it. And so I had to do everything myself. I was booking our tours and making our posters and dubbing tapes to sell on tour, just like everything. And I mm. feel like that education has really served me well. I kind of feel sorry for bands that get really popular right away because I'm like, how are you going to learn how to do stuff yourself? Because you're going to need to know how to do some stuff yourself at some point, you know. It's lucky that we have you still doing it to kind of pave the way. I was actually wanting to know, and I always love asking this of artists who've been around for a decade, how many times you have had young women coming up to you and letting you know that you have influenced them or you made them want to pick up the guitar or write songs or anything like that. So many times. And it's just the best thing ever. <laughs> I yeah. feel like after becoming a mom and dealing with cancer, I'm so emotionally open in a way that I wasn't before. And so, you know, I almost have to stop going out into the crowd as much as I used to because it's so emotional. Like It's so awesome, but I'll definitely just start crying if somebody says something like that to me, you know, and it's sometimes it's like too much to do every night. <laughs> but yeah. that's just, oh man, I mean, that's the best to me. I feel like that's part of why I've just like been so open about everything that I've gone through is because 
I want people to see me and think like, I can still do this if I become a mom. You know, I can still do this if I'm battling other things in life. I feel like the opportunity to inspire other women is huge for me. Thank you so much. And I hope it's okay to ask. We're on the other side of the cancer thing. You're all good, not good. Everything is good. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. (laughs) I feel like I'll never be sure of that again. But yeah, the short answer is yeah. Yeah, good. Well, before we wrap up today, I love to close my time with my guests by bestowing upon them a Shiro's Magic Wand. The Shiro's Magic Wand gives you the power to change anything that you want to for women in music spaces. The wand may feel heavy. The list may be long. (laughs) (laughs) Do not fear the wand, though. The wand is yours for the moment. What would you want to change for women? Oh, gosh. I mean, the first thing that came to mind, I'm sure I'll think of so many better answers later, but is just the condescending men at venues. It's just such a crappy way to start a show to feel like, you know, the sound engineer or the people at the venue don't respect you, don't see you as valuable, you know, and it's just so normal to have people assume that I don't know what I'm doing up there. And that was part of it with La Luz is I was like, I don't want any men in this band because... I don't want the sound engineer at the venue that we go to to just like have somebody that they can talk to and not talk to us, you know? So it was kind of like, I didn't want to give an opportunity for people to assume that this one man in the band was actually running the show. And to me, it's a small thing, but it kind of adds up when a lot of people underestimate you as soon as they see you. And that would be one thing that I would change is more female or non-binary sound engineers would be amazing. I don't know how we make this happen, but (laughs) that would be a good start. Yeah. That one has been top of the list. (laughs) I should really start like tallying what people wish for. I'd be so curious to know. (laughs) Right? We could go down that rabbit hole, but we won't today. (laughs) Instead, I will thank you for being here and ask you to choose one last song to take us out today. I'll go with Babe. It's one of my favorites on the record. Just the With thanks once again to Shana Cleveland. Thank you for being with us on Shiro's. It's been super fun. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Many thanks to Shayna Cleveland for being with us. Her third solo album, Manzanita, is available now on Hardly Art Records. She Rose is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. She Rose is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit SheRoseRadio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the She Rose shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at She Rose Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review you wherever you listen to your podcast that helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening.